Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Race to the White House. I am Nivedita Varadarajan. The US has many points of interest in South Asia. In this two-part interview with Suhasini Haider, the national editor and diplomatic affairs editor The Hindu, we discuss what an other Trump term or a new Biden administration could mean for the region. Both candidates are looking to draw the Indian-American community to their side in an effort to widen their appeal. I asked Suhasini the importance of the Indian community and how the group can influence this presidential election. This is what she had to say. Um, certainly. And I think, you know, Indian-Americans, of course, as you said, the number of the eligible voters, maybe 1.3 million, there are four and a half million uh, Indian-Americans. So these are American citizens in, uh, in the U.S., And while that isn't a huge uh, number, they are seen as a very, very prominent and fastest rising minority, if you like, uh, simply because uh, for many reasons, in the same way that all Asian Americans are counted, because they have higher education, uh, they have higher incomes as a result of that. And also that uh, they are now, especially Indian Americans, becoming more and more politically aware getting more and more involved in politics. We now have uh, four Indian Americans in the U.S. Congress, one in the Senate. Um, and uh, we're seeing in, at every level now that Indian American candidates are um, part of the mainstream, if you like. Uh, you know, you talk about uh, Indian origin governors like Nikki Haley and Bobby Jindal. Uh, you have uh, Kamala Harris herself of an Indian extraction. So the, the prominence that the Indian American community now has in American politics is certainly much more than it used to be. Uh, you mentioned the battleground states. I think it's important, uh, actually, that uh, not only is it in the, the normal traditional areas where Uh, you see large Indian communities, which is the East Coast and the West Coast, so New York and California, which are predominantly Democrat in any case. Uh, mm. But where Indians are making a difference is in, uh, in states with smaller populations otherwise. So Florida, for example, which is, of course, one of the big um, you know, game changer states, as it's known, uh, places like Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Even though the Indian community, Indian American community, may be 30,000, 40,000, 50,000 in these places, they are enough to be able to swing the vote. Uh, so this time you're seeing a much bigger focus on them. Yeah, that's true. All depends on how, many, how people come out and vote. But we don't know if like, the normal voting will happen this year anyway. Uh, sure. I mean, but that will go with the national trend, I think, mm. in the U.S., in terms of the same brackets where Indian Americans are coming out of it. I do think Kamala Harris will be a push factor. There will be many who will say this is someone who represents the community, even if you know, she's half of Indian American origin, half of Jamaican American origin. Um, but I do think she will be a push factor, making people make sure that they come out and vote. Indian Americans mostly identified themselves as Democrats. In 2016, Trump had only 16% support within the community. Now, it has reached to 28%. In this context, how does Kamala Harris help Biden? Well, that's an interesting uh, statistic because, as you pointed out, this is part of a survey that has just come out, just uh, done yeah. by something called India in Diaspora, which is uh, essentially a non-partisan group that looks at the Indian diaspora particularly. Um, and what they found was that essentially 65% of Indian Americans that they had polled currently favor Biden, 28%, as you said, favor President Trump. 
Uh, this is different because in 2016, 77% voted for Hillary Clinton, 16% voted for President Trump. Uh, so it, it definitely shows a shift. Uh, we're told that the shift is because of some of the public positions that the Democrat Party took uh, in terms of Kashmir, in terms of uh, closeness with Prime Minister Modi, criticism of the Modi government. Uh, and while it, it, it does seem, as you said, that the, the Kamala Harris factor will, will come in favor of Biden, the Trump factor will come in favor of Trump in a sense. You know, the fact that he's kept a close relationship with India, that he made that trip out to India in February, that uh, he and Prime Minister Modi addressed that big rally in Houston as well. Um, what is also interesting, you know, from the same report that you spoke about, Nivedita, is that in 2016, 46% of the Indian American voters identified as Democrat. But in this particular round, uh, in this survey, 54% identified as Democrats, 16 as Republicans, whereas it was actually 19% earlier. What this means essentially is that the independents are beginning to take a stand within the Indian American community. And right now, it seems as if the, the, in, uh, the Democrats have taken a bit of a jump because of, uh, because of a bunch of reasons. And obviously Kamala Harris is going to be an important one. Another topic Suhasini and I spoke about was the relationship both candidates have with India. Trump and Narendra Modi, our Prime Minister, have a good relationship and the leaders have had two big rallies, the Howdy Modi event in the US and the Namaste Trump event here. Biden has also had a long history of friendship with India. He was one of the early proponents of the uh, Indo-US nuclear deal. That's in right. that way, how will the potential Biden administration take a stand when it comes to issues that matter for Indians? It is interesting, Nivedita, um, that we are looking at two candidates, both of which actually India has some experience of now. So we are looking at uh, Trump, who has been president for the last four years, and we are looking at Biden, who was Vice President Biden from uh, 2008 uh, to 2016. While those were not Mr. Biden's policies, those were President Obama's policies, the fact is that as vice president, he was definitely a part of that. So we're, we're not expecting to see a major shift when Biden comes to power in terms of how they behave with India and how they see India um, from, uh, from the past. If you look at both of those, there is a, you know, it's, a, it's almost a cliche now to talk about the bipartisan cons consensus for better ties with India. Uh, as you pointed out, Senator Biden had this uh, um, had a major role to play in trying to break the logjam at one point over the Indo-US civilian nuclear deal. Uh, he has been a proponent, you know, he's, he actually came out with a document specifically for Indian Americans. He has made certain statements when it comes to the H-1B, for example, which is a visa in the US that affects Indians more than anyone else and said that he's going to liberalize this, whereas the Trump administration has taken many steps to sort of cut down some of the, uh, to increase the restrictions on uh, immigration. Now you mentioned President Trump and, and the kind of push he's made for relations with India. Let's remember at every stage, he has made a point of engaging India, of engaging uh, Prime Minister Modi right from when he talked about his South Asian policy on Afghanistan. Uh, we've had a lot of Twitter conversations between the two leaders. Uh, President Trump often refers to India in a, in a positive way in terms of saying, you know, my, my friend, uh, the Prime Minister of India, or that Indians have been 
uh, extremely helpful with the U.S. when it came to the coronavirus, for example, uh, making the uh, making the effort for these two big rallies. Prime Minister Modi almost seemed to be endorsing him last year, although the government backtracked from that. Uh, when Prime Minister Modi said, you know, Abhibar Trump Sarkar, we have seen uh, both of them actually work uh, their relationship with India in a slightly different way in terms of what the policies will be, but not in any different way when it comes to the major thrust of the policy. The one divergence that is pointed out and has been pointed out in the survey as well is that the Biden campaign, the Democratic campaign, the Democrats in the party, uh, including, I should add, the Indian American Democrats in the party, have been critical of uh, the Modi government's domestic policy. In a way, we have not really heard from the Trump government. So whether it has been on Kashmir, whether it has been on the Citizenship Amendment Act, uh, whether it was even on the Delhi riots, where there were statements made uh, by Democratic Party uh, leaders, we have actually seen a more proactive stand, if you like, coming from these leaders. But let's remember the harshest comments, and this includes Kamala Harris, have really come from people of Indian origin, uh, essentially yeah. making the point that they have higher expectations of India, perhaps. And once they're in government, it's highly expected that they won't be so Pakistan in the way they speak. There'll be more no statesman like. Well, it, it's, it, it isn't a necessarily a given because some things are democratic uh, policy. Uh, it is a policy of the democratic uh, establishment to be much more vocal when it comes to what they see as human rights issues. The point is, this is not something new that India has had to deal with. It has worked with this in uh, the 1990s as well with uh, administrations in the past. Uh, and it isn't necessarily just democratic policy. Obviously, in, in 2005, for example, it was a Republican government that decided to take the most extreme step of banning uh, Prime Minister Modi, then the Gujarat chief minister, and canceling his visa uh, over the Gujarat riots. So this is, these, these are really essentially American policies. President Trump has been an exception, I think. I think he has made a point of not... Uh, being as uh, proactive when it comes to these issues around the world. And this is part of his own understanding of how relations should be built. He has been much more interested, for example, in how much India or any other country can do on the trade side, on, uh, on uh, cutting tariffs and all the rest of that, than he has been on these issues. We also spoke about how the U.S. foreign policy might change in the post-COVID world. Have a listen. I think the truth is that some things are secular trends. They are trends that are going to go ahead no matter what and no matter what people say. Uh, I think it's going to be hard to turn back in the post-COVID world. It will be hard to turn back some of the protectionist policies, trade-driven policies of the U.S. simply because this is what every country around the world is doing just in order to get ahead. So uh, you will see, it may not be called Make America Great Again, but it might still have as much emphasis on ensuring that countries uh, are uh, lower their tariffs in order to do business with the United States. I don't think that's going away. I think immigration is going to be an issue where governments are going to uh, be cutting down. I, even in the Obama administration, we saw that. 
I think there is going to be no change when it comes to getting tough on China, because this is, again, something that has bipartisan consensus. There's a real desire in the post-COVID world, particularly to hold China accountable, to make sure that China uh, does explain its actions when it comes to coronavirus, as well as its aggressions in other parts. I don't think you'll see a change in, in that or in perhaps the push for the Indo-Pacific policy, uh, the military kind of push that we are seeing in the maritime domain. India has also been a part of the Quad. Uh, let's remember that uh, the original statement that came for uh, bringing India and the US together in the India-Pacific, in those days was called the Asia-Pacific, was actually when President Obama visited India. So you might not see a difference in those. I think where you are going to see the difference is essentially in the broader impact. What was, what was called the Trump effect. If Trump wins the election, we'll probably see just more of the same of what he's been doing because he has been unapologetic about some of these steps that he took. Uh, if Mr. Trump does not win the election, then we see a broader result. Uh, for example, on the fact that he exited many multilateral organizations, including UNHRC, UNESCO, he has threatened to pull out even of WTO and other such multilaterals. He has exited agreements that have been signed, you know, for example, the Iran nuclear deal agreement, the climate change agreement. Now, on both of these issues, uh, Mr. Biden has been very clear that he expects to dial back some of uh, Mr. Trump's decisions. Uh, Mr. Trump has been very tough on allies, very tough on what his expectations of other countries are, you might see a softening of position over there. Um, and then there is the question of Afghanistan, where I think uh, both of them, both Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden, not as much perhaps uh, Mr. Obama, but both Mr. Trump and Mr. Biden have uh, advocated at different points to pull out of troops from Afghanistan. Uh, now, whether it will be an immediate thing after the elections, because you know the elections will give the US breathing space to work out what is going to be the post-American uh, scenario in Afghanistan. They may not be as quick to pull out as, as they seem to threaten they, they will right now pull out in uh, spring of 2021. Um, so I do think that you will see a consistency on a lot of issues, which are specific issues. But I think the broader picture of how the world sees the US, how the US sees the world, will definitely be very different depending on who wins. Now, I think it's safe to say that the Indo-US relationship is set to grow in the coming years, irrespective of who will become the president. That's it for part one. In part two, we discuss a wide range of topics from the Afghan peace deal to the growing influence of China in South Asia. So be sure to tune in next week. Until then, this is Nivedita signing off.